Welcome to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast where small business owners are celebrated as the backbone of the American economy. Each week, we introduce you to tycoons who share their stories and advice so that small business owners may learn from their experiences. Tycoons is powered by Backbone Planning Partners, Fintrepid Solutions, and Pivotal Advisors. Join us now as our hosts connect you to today's tycoons. Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here as almost always, Austin Peterson, coming to you live today from Gilbert, Arizona. And we're excited to uh, have today's guest on the show. But before we jump into the, who that is and, and what she's doing uh, in her business life, if this is the first time that you're listening to our podcast and you're wondering what it is that we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a podcast that started about two years ago. We've done 120-something episodes. And our job or our goal is to prop up the small business owner. We're a business owner podcast put together by small business owners for small business owners. And our only goal is to tell the stories of small business owners because they truly are the backbone of the American economy. And we want them to have that opportunity to share that story any way they can. And one of those ways is on uh, our podcast, Tycoons of Small Biz. So welcome to the show if this is your first time. But today we definitely have a guest on the show that I would call a tycoon. She's got a very interesting backstory and she's got a nice business coming out of Bellevue, Washington. We've got Sarah Walker founder and principal designer with Nuance Interior Design. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Austin. I'm honored to be here. Yeah, excited to learn more about your story. Our listeners by now know that we always have a pre-qualification call that we that we have with our guests. And so obviously we've met before, we've talked a little bit about your story, but uh, in reading your show prep paperwork here that you, that you submitted, we didn't talk about the fact that you were born and raised in Dubai. So you, you got to start with that. Tell us whatever <laughs> else you'd like us to know, you know, uh, personally. But for those who are watching it on video, you don't look at you and assume that you grew up and, and were born and raised in Dubai. So tell us about that. Absolutely. So my dad and mom obviously were over there for 25 years and uh, they were working for Sheikh Mohammed doing falconry research. My dad was actually one of the first in the world, was the first in the world to figure out how to breed falcons in captivity, which if you know anything about Dubai and the Middle East, you know that falconry is a huge pastime for the Arabs over there. And so he was there as a consultant to the Sheikh and we lived there, moved back to the States when I was 10. And so now it's amazing to look at the pictures of Dubai and the videos and see how everything's exploded over there. But um, it was an incredible place to be born and raised and just so many incredible memories and foundational experiences there, the wonderful people. Yeah, it's it's one of the places that's on my bucket list of, of places to visit. I have not been there yet, but uh, you know, I, I think that anybody who enjoys travel, specifically international travel, Dubai should be on your list of places to visit. 100%, 100%. It's an incredible place. So much diversity, incredible architecture and design, just best of everything. Yeah. Well, and I tell you, when you know when you say that that's where you were born and raised, I think we always jump to worked for the State Department, code, code name CIA, right? <laughs> or or your, your parents, one, one or both, were in the military. And that, that's not the case. Falconry? would have never been on my list. I know. I know. I like to lead with that because, you know, everyone goes, were you there for the oil? Were you there, you know, for X, Y, or Z? Uh, we were actually there during the Gulf War. So 
we did get to see a lot of uh, military presence, but as as wild as it was, it was it was incredible. Yeah. Well, good. So t- tell us what else we should know about you personally. I mean, you moved back to the States when you were 10. So where did you grow up the rest of your life? What did you study in college? Whatever you'd like us to know. Absolutely. So after we came back to the States, we settled in Arizona. Uh, my dad has a passion for the desert. I do not share that passion. So now I'm in Washington State, uh, where it's green and beautiful all year. But I was there until I went to Utah State University for college because they had an accredited interior design program. And I knew from the time I was 12 that I wanted to be an interior designer. And so everything was pretty much geared towards that trajectory. I interned with a high-end local interior designer in Tucson while I was in high school, got my bachelor's degree in interior design and business with a minor in art. And that has been an incredible asset for my business um, because so much of design and interior design is really about the business side as as an interior designer out on my own. And I loved the school, didn't enjoy the snow. So as soon as my husband finished his MBA there, we uh, came to Seattle and we've been here for, gosh, about 12 years now. So this is home for us. And I have three children, a daughter that's 10, a daughter that's six, and a little boy that's three. And of course, our family dog. Awesome. What kind of dog? A King Charles Cavalier. So only the prettiest dog ever. (laughs) (laughs) And he knows it. (laughs) I have an interesting story about Cavalier King Charles or King Charles Cavalier, you know, whichever one it is for sure. But we got a dog that was a puppy that was supposed to be a King Chet, King Charles, right? And, uh, we learned, I don't know, five or six months later that it was a mutt and it was, you know, sold to us as a, as a scam, so to speak. As we look back, there were, there were some signs, right? But my wife was in love with the little puppy mm-hmm. and uh, for sure that's, you know, that was the dog. And it turned out that it was, very poorly behaved, caused all kinds of problems. And so we ended up having her adopted out again after that. And, and since then, we've had nothing but golden doodles. So we're a golden doodle yeah. family. Also a lovely dog. Yeah, the, the family breeds are just the best thing ever. <laughs> awesome. So you love Dubai, but didn't fall in love with the desert the way that your parents did. So do your parents go back and forth? You know, it's obviously a great place to be in the winter. And then Washington State's a great place to be in the summer. So do you guys both go back and forth? No, no. Um, they did while we were growing up there. So every summer for, you know, 25 years, my parents would come back to the States, um, to Utah specifically, where our you know families were kind of central located. And um, so I summered in Utah and um, then we would go back for the rest of the year. But, you know, when you're looking at hundred percent humidity and triple digit temperatures, it's not a great place to be in the summer. Um, but once they settled in Arizona, they were, they were happy there. And uh, they're actually still there kind of in St. George, Utah now. So they haven't ever left the desert, but as soon as I could, we were greener pastures, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, I I can, I can agree with you there. So we actually do love Arizona. I'm not a huge fan of the heat, but it doesn't bother me nearly as much as it did before. So 
but we go to Utah, we go to California, Idaho, Wyoming, you know, when, when it's summertime, we try to get out of, of Arizona as much as we can. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's, that's my agenda. I only visit them during the spring and winter. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into the business side of things. So nuanced interior design, you know, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So tell us what nuance does specifically and and why you decided to start your own firm rather than working for a larger design firm. Absolutely. So I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. I love, you know, really figuring things out from end to end, whether it be a design or a business And I started out as soon as I graduated college working for a boutique high-end residential firm that specialized more in vacation homes in uh, Utah and loved that. Really got a great understanding for a couple of years on the best practices and how to really work with those luxury clients and absolutely loved that. When we moved to Seattle, I opened up my own business and did that kind of in the background as I worked full-time for Nordstrom Corporate. So the wonderful thing about that was really understanding from a business side, things like budgets and project management and tracking things that you don't always get to learn in a smaller boutique firm. So I got to wear a bunch of different hats working for a corporation, doing corporate design and retail design. Um, I was responsible for 142 different stores across the nation from uh, the Seattle headquarters and ended up working a lot with the VPs and executive teams of Nordstrom. So I found quickly that I really loved working with other professionals and other people that were decisive and had a great sense of timelines and budgets and project management. And so when I um, left Nordstrom about five years ago, I realized that that was my ideal client that I really loved working with were other professionals that uh, were time-pressed, other entrepreneurs, other builders and architects that needed someone that could come in with a corporate background and streamline the processes. So much of interior design is incredibly creative, but to get it into fruition and have the vision be realized takes an incredible amount of management. And it is a much more successful project as a team with a group of professionals to really guide it from start to finish. And since a lot of our projects are quite large, um, anywhere from 3,000 to 12,000 square foot homes, there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of different artisans and uh, tradespeople involved. And a lot of it is custom. And so what we do is really fine-tune the process. And that is something that I'm really passionate about and want to help my teammates, my contractors, and my architects and other designers have a successful project for the client. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned a couple of things that are pretty interesting. The, The reality is, and you mentioned this yourself, that most people who work in a creative space like interior design have a brain for the creative side of things and not necessarily for organization or business or, you know, those sorts of things. So the first question is, you know, is that something that was just kind of innate for you throughout your life? And, and you know, maybe the way that you 
were born and raised and, you know, maybe your mom or dad were very organized and taught you that. And then the second part of the question is the interior design degree at Utah State. And, you know, obviously there are other universities that offer interior design uh, programs. Did they encourage or automatically have built into the curriculum the business side of things as well? Or was it purely the design part? I know that you got, you know, the, the business side of it at Utah State, but was it in the program automatically or was that a choice of yours? Great question. So uh, in answer to the second question, no, the the business side of the interior design was actually run through their business school. The design program was strictly design. In fact, it was interesting because it was a lot of hand drafting, which is very uncommon now in the industry and is very much an, a niche specialty. So what I found was that it wasn't so much the creative honing that I got in school, as much as it was the business honing that I received in school that has launched my career to where it is now. And I would say that, you know, innately I have some strategic thinking, you know, when I look at my strengths finder test, a lot of it is, you know, that strategy and just my personality as a type A person is, I guess the, I'm obsessively organizing and I really like to have lists and phases and a lot of structure around the design. And that has just kind of come with me. Fortunately, and I, I really latched on to the, the business side in school and spend a lot of my spare time now taking business courses and construction courses and reading business books and working with financial people to make sure that my business is functioning optimally because I really value that. In addition to, of course, keeping up on all of the design trends and forecasting and going to the different markets and shows. I find that they are equally important in a design business. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you 100%. The reality is, and, and you see it not just in design, but in business in general, right? So think of a technology firm, right? Somebody who comes up with this really great idea, they bring that idea to light, but they don't have the business side of things behind them. So they either have to find a co-founder that does that, or they have to go out and you know, learn it themselves or hire somebody to do those aspects. And it sounds to me like you're not only pretty well-rounded and gifted in it yourself, but you're consistently working at being better at it. A hundred percent. I really find that so much of design now is technology. To be honest, I'm a tech company doing design. You know, I have a software stack of easily 20 plus different applications that we use almost on a daily basis to get a client project from start to finish. Everything from the visual presentations to how we interface with the contractors programs like Builder Trend or Co-Construct, how we communicate with the clients. Because one of the things that really sets us apart is our dedication to communicating with our clients. They are busy professionals and we specialize in large projects such as new builds or big renovations. And we are there from often permit set with the architect all the way to, you know, installing drapery and furnishings and art and accessories and styling at the very end. And that wouldn't be possible without a tremendous amount of technology. 
Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that and and interfacing with the architects and the you know the builders, et cetera, the tradespeople, everybody who's there. Um, you know, we had an architect on a few weeks ago that actually is an architect and a general contractor, which is still somewhat unique, right? Yeah. You're, you're not typically doing both. And quite honestly, a lot of times those those people are at are at odds with one another, right? Because the the interior designer and the architect have this vision, and there it's all about the aesthetic look. But then the contractors trying to figure out, well, how do I actually do yep. that? <laughs> it may look awesome that this cl- closet is built this way and has these you know really unique, cool angles, but how am I supposed to actually build that? You know, those those things are sometimes at odds. Yes, agreed. And you know, navigating that really takes a team and we try to think of it as a three-legged stool. You have one leg being the architect, another being a builder, and the third being an interior designer to really make that project successful because you have people like the architect looking at it from the outside in, the designer looking at it from the inside out, and then the contractor looking at it from the ground up, building it. And there's a lot of logistical decisions that have to be made and you know, come up with something that's really feasible that can be built and that has that that wow factor too that we we try to give our clients. And uh, we're also always focused on doing things that are sustainable. That's a big driver in our business, in our showroom. Everything that we source and show has a sustainable story. And so our goal is to give as much detail to our teammates as possible so that it can be built the right the first time and minimize waste. And also build something that's beautiful that makes the homeowner feel really peaceful and joyful in their new space that they enjoy it for a long time and don't rip it up and throw it away. We've seen too many instances where, you know, spec home builders go in and and they're trying to put the cheapest, quickest thing in, you know, whatever is going to sell the fastest, whether it's trendy or whatever. The new homeowner comes in and they rip it all out, a brand new, you know, countertop, brand new cabinets, because it was builder grade, it was not their style. So we try to come up with, you know, approaching sustainability from all aspects. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, I I get the trying to put it in place to where it's not being redone, right? So I've, we've recently redone essentially our entire house. You spent a lot of time in Arizona, you can tell just by looking in my, my home office. This is in, in my home, but it's actually a separate entrance to the outside. But you can tell that from a design standpoint, this is not your typical desert home because I've redone it. And part mm-hmm. of the reason why is the builder grade stuff that was here. Now, my house is 20 years old, granted. So things were going to get changed regardless. But you're absolutely right. I mean, we threw out countertops. We've changed out cabinets. We've changed out cabinet doors. We've changed out all the flooring obviously had to redo the roof, but that's, you know, different painted the outside. There were a lot of rounded archways that I ripped out and squared them off to get, you know, more clean lines out of. And so it's interesting from that side, but how do you do that from, from the get go? I guess, what is your full scope of what you guys are doing from a sustainability standpoint? Because not every design ages well, regardless. Right. So really what we try to do is come in and meet with the clients and the architect and say, what's the vision for this house? 
And what are we trying to accomplish with the look and the feel and the style? And, and how do we marry that with the architecture of the home, whether it's a new builder or a reno? And basically what we try to do is give them an elevated design. So they might bring to us, you know, things that they've seen on Instagram and Pinterest. And we try to take that and elevate it, give them something even more inspirationally beautiful. Then we give them elements that are going to, to be timeless. So things that are not being done for the last five years, those are already on the downswing of the trend, for example. But we also want to incorporate things that have a lot of staying power. So not only things that are on the front end of the trend, but things that that feel timeless, whether it's a really contemporary home or a really traditional home or something in between. We want to make sure that we're not doing something that's all gray and white, for example. As we know from design, the cool gray is now on its way out after having a great run for the last you know, 10 years. So what we like to do is, great, that client really wants gray and white, but how about we infuse some warmth into it so that we are adding on to the lifespan of that design easily another five, 10 years. Does that make sense? So yeah. we're, we're incorporating a lot of different design influences in addition to what the client brings us um, so that we have longevity. The other layer of that is the type of materials that we're specifying. So for example, we're going to specify cabinetry that's carb two, which means that um, there's no toxic chemicals in it. It's low formaldehyde or formaldehyde free, basically. And so that the finishes they use, the the way that the mill works is almost 0% waste, 5% or less at the factory level. That when you put it in your home, you're not going to get that sick home syndrome where you smell that horrible off-gassing smell that makes it so you have to open all the windows and doors and put industrial strength fans in just to air out your house and make it livable. That's representational of toxic chemicals. We also look at the, the practices of the facilities. Are they being careful with their water usage? They're reusing it. Are they following the, the jurisdictions? Are they winning awards for their sustainability? And then we'll use things with high recycled content or made out of cast brass or bronze, so incredibly durable. And a lot of times we'll source locally if at all possible. So we're also reducing the carbon footprint from trucks and ships and things like that. I mean, I think that's really kind of the the wave of the future, so to speak. You know, the, the reality is there's so many things that have gone on in all industries. It's not just the building industry, right? But uh, the building industry is what we're talking about here. And so a lot of the stuff, I mean, you can go way back, right? Lead-based paint and, you know, all these sorts of things that have been in our homes and have kind of led to probably a, a good portion of the reason that there, that cancer is so prevalent in our, in our society. So I applaud mm -hmm. you for, for doing what you can to kind of eliminate and reduce that. Yeah, it's so important. But on the, on the lifestyle side, it also brings a lot of benefit and increased quality of life to our homeowners. Our goal for creating sustainable things in their home is that, of course, they're not going to have the smells and the things that are harmful for kids and pets. But a lot of times those materials are higher quality. So they're more durable. They are more thoughtfully created and they're made to last longer. 
So things don't age as quickly as builder grade materials. It's cheap and easy and quick. And also it cleans better. So things that are sealed properly and painted and finished properly, they wipe up better. And that just increases the overall wellness of the client um, in their home that they are able to enjoy the benefits on both ends. All right. So let's expand a little bit. Let's talk about you know, the services that you offer because interior design encapsulates a lot of things. And so typically interior designers are going to have some sort of a specialty or an area that they, that they work in. So tell us about the services that you offer. Absolutely. So we are really focused on tailored custom homes, whether it's a new build or a large renovation with white glove concierge level service. So we are doing everything from the custom cabinet designs with you know, specified pullouts that meet the client's exact criteria all the way to what kind of bed linens they want. So from the construction standpoint, we're providing a detailed specification book for the, the builder that details every single wall in the house, what's going to go on it, how the tile is going to be installed, the grout color, the grout thickness, all of those details. And uh, we put that all together. It's it can be a significantly hefty binder, but basically it means that we've come up with every detail and every transition, hopefully obviating any questions that the contractor might have. And then we also follow up with multiple site visits um, for key things like plumbing, electrical, cabinet measure, cabinet install, countertop template, so that we're hands-on from start to finish with the project and really being an asset to the team to make sure that things are being executed the way the clients envisioned it. We're really the liaison for the client to the builder and the architect so that their dream becomes a reality. Then the other option we have, the other service that we offer is called Express New Construction. So that might be for a custom spec home builder that just needs us to go through and make all the selections for plumbing, lighting, the finishes, like the hard finishes, paint colors, things like that. Or client that maybe has a really detailed set of architectural drawings already and just needs us to make all the selections, which can still be a significant amount over, you know, five to 10,000 square feet. But basically we give them a, a more condensed book. And then in both cases, we offer furnishings. So everything from custom art, custom furnishings, to putting it all together on a layout so that they can really envision what it's going to look like before they purchase anything. We do the to scale space planning and curate everything that they're really looking for to make that house into a home that meets their family's requirements. Yeah, so it really is full service. I mean, you can plug yourself in where they need you, but you can also do everything from soup to nuts. Exactly. Yep. Top to bottom. And then we style it. We handle the installation, um, all of the, the measuring for the furnishings and integrate any existing furnishings they might have, heirloom quality pieces, investment grade pieces that they want to keep and, and put into their new home. All right. Well, we've hit the, the part of the show where we typically take a small break and uh, share a quick message or a call to action for our listeners. So we'll do that now and then we'll come back and, and talk a little bit more about what you guys are doing to innovate at Nuance Interior Designs. 
Hey there, tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. We're here with Sarah Walker talking uh, with her about nuanced interior design and all things interior design. So Sarah, before the break, we, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, the types of services. We talked about what sets you guys apart, specifically the sustainability that, that you guys uh, are, you know, champions of. And then we, we did also talk a little bit about kind of how you got your start and the executives that you worked with at Nordstrom and, you know, the types of clients you work with. But let's expand a little bit on that. So, you know, you said executives or, or business owners, but is there a specific type of executive or, or specific area, you know, type of client that you work with? I would say just partly because of the area that we live in with, you know, Microsoft and Amazon, Google, T-Mobile, that we are in a very tech-centric um, area with Bellevue and Seattle is kind of our key area. We also work in an area called the East Side, which tends to be the bedroom community to the big corporations in Bellevue and Seattle. And so we have really push the envelope in working with what we call integrators, which are the specialists that integrate all of the technology into the homes to make them smart homes. And our goal is to have the interfaces, the the things that you really see on the wall and in the ceiling that are good looking, that are innovative, that work with those tech people that obviously love what they do and, and love the convenience and the the flexibility to bring that home. And so a lot of that is sound systems and, you know, Wi-Fi, just the way you can cast into various rooms, things like the, the smart uh, Samsung frame behind me. We do that almost standard for TVs now. So how do we, you know, make everything smart and connected, whether it's your window treatments on a schedule that, you know, you can tell Alexa or Google Home or Josh AI that you want them to do a certain thing at a certain time. That's a, a key thing that we do. So we end up working with a lot of tech executives. Um, I think just nature of our location. But I wouldn't say that we really just would have a, a favorite, so to speak, of an executive that we enjoy working with. I work with some of my Nordstrom executives that I formerly worked with right now. We're, we're doing a home renovation for one of the VPs of the rack. So it's just, it's always fun to to meet with different people. But the professional aspect, I think, is where I really connect with people, that they understand what we do and how we do it and that we're focused on process. And, and sometimes that's not for everybody. Sometimes they want more of a, you know, drawn out experience where they go shopping and, you know, have tea breaks. And, you know, we're more, okay, you have a timeline. We want to save you time. We want to save you money. This is how we do it. This is how we communicate. And then the rest of it is the flexible stuff versus the process. Yeah. Well, I can I can certainly see how that would be appealing to an executive, right? I mean, I'm a business owner, you're a business owner. We're we're busy people. We like that process. 
my wife maybe less so right maybe she would like to go shopping with you and look at different pieces and you know all those sorts of things but I can see why that works. And then, you know, one of the questions that I was going to ask as a follow-up is how you source those clients. And I'm sure there's a fair amount of word of mouth, but you kind of answered it. You're spending time with those smart home innovators and the smart home installers as a way to get in with the design aspect mm -hmm. of things. Absolutely. And as, you know, part of our design process, we, we have, you know, set things that we go and do and see different showrooms, whether it's the, natural stone slab yard or the plumbing store, or the appliance store, but those are more set, you know, things that we need to do at certain times in the process. So there's still some fun outings, but a lot of times we find that it's just really great to network with the builders and architects that are on the front end of the project. And the sooner that you bring an interior designer on, Honestly, the more successful your project is because of that kind of three-legged stool analogy that I shared. It's just going to go smoother when you have your full team on board at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. All right, so one of the things that we talked about when, when we had our pre-qualification call with you is the fact that you have a showroom and not every interior designer does. So explain to us why you decided to open a showroom and expand your business that way. Absolutely. So we are very unique in that we have a showroom. There's no other interior designer um, in the area that has a showroom as part of their business. And why we did that was because with executives and busy homeowners, there's a time issue. And driving all over Seattle and the horrible traffic that we have ended up being very prohibitive for a lot of homeowners. And so they would miss out on seeing some really amazing showrooms because they were on the opposite end of the county from the other showrooms. And so you would end up kind of having to prioritize or settle based on the client's time availability that they had. And I ended up, you know, carrying a lot of samples from one end of Seattle to the east side. It was just kind of a longer, more inefficient process. And so I decided that I would consolidate all of my favorite vendors that I've worked with for the last 15 years in the high-end residential spectrum and put them all in one showroom. So we have close to probably 25 different showrooms and we've consolidated them into my 3,000 square foot space. And about, I would say a third to half of this space is handcrafted custom cabinetry. And that was the impetus really behind the showroom was I couldn't find a good cabinet shop that could give me accurate samples or samples up front that I could really design around. And I couldn't go and touch and feel the quality of the cabinetry or, you know, find something for a really modern client or a very traditional client. And so I decided to partner with two family-owned companies that have both been around for decades, actually. One of them is out of Germany and is celebrating, I think, their 104th anniversary this next year. And the other one is Crystal Cabinets out of Minnesota, which just had their 75th anniversary this year. And so both of those are still family-owned. They are incredible lines dedicated to quality and sustainability. And between the two of them have over 700 standard finishes to choose from, plus can do anything custom. So that was incredibly appealing to me as a someone that specializes in kitchen and bath design to be able to pull from that kind of a resource. And then the rest is 
really gorgeous tile, hardwood, window treatments, you know, wall covering, you name it, we have it, um, even as far as appliances and plumbing and lighting. So we really wanted to be a one-stop shop where clients could come and we could pick out 90% of their project in one space rather than driving to 25 different showrooms. Granted, I still like to take them to the appliance showroom and the plumbing showroom and the slab yard, like I mentioned, but um, we can get a tremendous amount of work done where it would normally take a year of design. We can do it in six months. So tell me what the feedback's been, you know, with clients on the showroom and how long has it been open and what benefit have you been able to tie revenue wise or profitability wise to the company with opening the showroom? I love that question because it has just been, you know, really glowing feedback from people that walk in and consistently it's wonderful to hear that my dream of creating the most beautiful and the most inspirational showroom that anyone's ever been to has been actualized. And I love being a space where clients can come in and they can see the breadth of my capabilities that I can do an incredibly uber contemporary sleek kitchen all the way to, you know, a French country kitchen. So for them to be able to see my portfolio in one space is incredibly rewarding and um, has really changed my bottom line from, I would say it's probably tripled my profit. And I just think that when you are able to meet people and give them something that they really need that solves their problems of time, people want time back and they don't want to spend months and months and months comparing tile and driving all around and dealing with things going in and out of stock. They want something that they can touch and feel and experience and make selections and move on. They want to know that they're getting the best. And that's what we've curated in this space is the best of everything that I can find, whether it's tile, whether it's window coverings, whether it's cabinetry. And putting that all in one location versus some of the other um, available showrooms are going to show you the full run maybe of a lot of builder grade materials, some nicer materials and clients are overwhelmed. You know, these spaces are massive and they're ending up sifting through things, not knowing if it's high quality or if it's low quality and just looks pretty. And when I did that for the first part of my career, um, it was disheartening and people would get frustrated and they'd get burned out. But now my goal of creating a stress-free experience and where it's actually an experience that's enjoyable is, is finally happening for my clients and, and even the builder partners that I work with and architects are just grateful to be able to touch and feel cabinetry and see the quality in person. Yeah, well, I think that's great. I mean, I think obviously the customer experience comes into play, but, you know, like you said, the, there are other aspects, right? You're not having to drive all around. They're not having to drive all around because if anybody who's listening knows Bellevue Real Estate it's not inexpensive, right? And so having that showroom is not an inexpensive investment for you and your company to put in place. But obviously you've figured out that by doing that, it's actually ended up costing you less to have that. And it's provided a better experience for the clients, which then obviously drives additional revenue and additional profitability. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. 
All right. So last question I have for you, and then uh, you can obviously tell us anything else that you'd like. But the last question I have is, you've kind of hinted to it, but this process, like, what does it all look like? What are you guys spending time doing? What technologies are you using? What what should a prospective client expect to receive when they engage Nuance Interior Design? Absolutely. So we have a six-phase process. The first phase is we have an initial analysis of their space. So we're really looking at what their goals are, what they want it to look and feel like, how they want it to function, what their budget and timeline is, and what kind of special needs and requirements do they have? And we look at the existing architectural envelope or if it's still on paper and really analyze how do we make their their vision, right? So there's a lot of questionnaires. There's a lot of, you know, looking at imagery and really meeting with the client and digging deep on how do they want the space to function and how do they want it to feel? And that's the shortest phase. But the next phase is we take all of that information that we've gathered and we put it into a conceptual design. Conceptual design being phase two is kind of we put together the sketches of you know different layouts, things like cabinetry for the kitchen, maybe a furniture layout, um, bring some finishes together, find some inspirational photos that kind of elevate the look and feel that they want that we discussed in the initial analysis. And then we have an approval meeting. We meet with them. We say, are we on the right track? Is this what you're looking for? Maybe make some adjustments and present again. And then once we get to a point where we feel like we've really understood what their goals are for the space, we send that out to a preliminary bid. So we're going to get you know things like cabinetry bids back, maybe get some feedback from the contractor about feasibility. And that way we make sure that we don't get to the end of the design and have a big surprise either from the contractor or from the pricing of the fixed pieces. And then after the bidding gets back and we review it with the client, make sure that they're happy, we put everything into a detailed design spec book. So that's phase four. And we're going to be taking and flushing everything out. So building out every single wall, every single floor plan, selecting every single finished material and piece of furniture from top to bottom. And that goes into the specification book. We present that to the client, make sure that that's exactly what they're wanting. If not, we make a couple more revisions and present again. And then that goes to the contractor and he sends that out to all of his subs for bid. And what this does is rather than uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith going to a contractor and saying, here's our plans, what do you think it'll cost? And the contractor going, well, it depends on your finishes. It could be anywhere from, you know, 5 million to 10 million. And the client being, well, that doesn't really help us, right? But the contractor doesn't have those specifications to really put a number to. He can put some allowances in. And sometimes those allowances are just to win the job. And then again, it doesn't help the client. So our goal is to go in and work with the client, of course, you know, within their budgetary parameters, and say, this is this is what we can give you. This is what we can provide you within your budget. And then the contractor can figure out any additional details as far as labor and things that need to be done on his part. But the contractors are happier because they have something concrete to bid. And they're only bidding it really once, 
right? Okay. They're going to look at it the initial time during the bidding, make sure that it's, you know, no huge surprises, but really they're bidding at one time during that final design phase and they know exactly what to expect. So they're super happy. And then we move on to the fifth phase, which is execution. And that's the phase where we are going to compile all the purchase orders. We typically handle all the procurement for interior finishes and furnishings. And then we place the orders. And then final step is delivery and install. So that's the really amazing part with the big reveal and everything gets styled. It's um, so rewarding to really see the client just feel like they're coming home to everything that they've ever you know, hoped and wanted. And it's the most incredible part of my role as an interior designer. Yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of work to get to that reward, but obviously you have a very clear-cut process that you guys follow as a team. Correct. And what's interesting about that process is really only two of the six phases are about interior design. The rest is really managing the process with the client expectations and pulling from our you know, tremendous amount of resources. But what's going to be best for the client's budget and the client's timeline and then making design decisions that are informed on that. But it's a lot of interfacing with, with other business entities, other artisans, other you know, workrooms and trades to really get this incredibly custom piece. But it doesn't happen without all of the business infrastructure that goes on. And that's one of the things that really sets us apart is having that infrastructure so that the project doesn't collapse and orders go missing or, you know, unforeseen delays because of lack of communication. So that's a really important part of the client experience that we really want the client to have the best possible experience with as little stress as possible. And so much of that comes from providing process and communication. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's critical. So I actually lied to you earlier when I said that was the last question I was going (laughs) to (laughs) ask. I do have one more question to kind of wrap things up and then and then I'll have you tell us a little bit about how people, you know, track you down on social media or website or whatever. But if you were to go back to day one of opening your business, what's the one lesson that you've learned across the last five years that you wish you would have known on day one? I wish that I hadn't tried so hard to do it alone. I can tell you honestly for the first 10, 12 years of my business, I was a solopreneur and I tried to do it 110% by myself. So every piece of marketing that went out, every I built my own websites, just crazy, crazy amount of, you know, after a while, it's not bootstrapping, you know, it's just trying to, you know, brazen it out. And I was lucky to have a successful business. You know, it was, it was great. But finding now that I have a lot of people helping me, and I don't just mean employees, I mean, I have a business coach, I have a very hands-on bookkeeper, I have a social media expert, I have a website developer, you know, things like that, that make me successful. I wish that I had invested in my business that way from the beginning. And maybe not, you know, the very first year, because there's no money the very first year sometimes. But when that money did start coming in, I wish I had invested it back into the business that way and found people that could 
give me that much better of a foundation because now that I have that and have for the last three years, it's a completely different experience. I can really focus on doing what it is that I love. And that's been transformational in giving my clients the best experience possible because I'm not torn between, you know, doing as much of the business stuff as I used to. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. I think it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, as you put them, struggle with for a very long time. And being willing to pay somebody to do something that you know you can kind of probably figure out. <laughs> yep. Right. And so it, it's a hard lesson to learn, but one that every entrepreneur needs to learn because you know we've 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 talked about this on past episodes. My business partner and I talk about it a lot uh, with each other as well as with our clients. And that if you try to go it alone, you will you will reach a plateau. And you're not getting past that plateau, no matter how good you are at multitasking or doing, you know, many, many things inside of the business. And so I think that's a great lesson for everybody who's listening. A hard lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, most lessons worth learning are not easy to learn, right? Agreed. <laughs> All right, Sarah. So tell us how people can track you down. What's the best way to get in touch with you if, uh, if they're looking for your services? Perfect. The best way is my website. Uh, it has the answers to every question you might have. Also has a couple different ways to contact me depending on what service you're looking for. And that's nuanceinteriors.com. As well as that's my Instagram handle, which is a great way. Please follow us and see what we're up to. We have so many uh, different facets of our business that we've talked about. And it's always exciting to see what's going on. Yeah, no, I re really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show with us today, Sarah. Please go and check out nuanceinteriors.com. Follow them on social media. While you're at it, follow Tycoons of Small Biz on social media. Like and subscribe to our podcast if you've enjoyed what you've heard here today. And uh, appreciate everybody being willing to listen to our podcast and, and supporting us over the last couple of years. And Sarah, really appreciate you being here today. Oh, honored. Thank you for having me, Austin. Appreciate it. been listening to tycoons of small biz a podcast for small business owners by small business owners join us every tuesday at 1 p.m arizona time for an introduction to another great tycoon and be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content